This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022 on your public radio station, KUAF. I'm Kyle Callums. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Later this hour, we're going to take you to Spain. The most recent episode of Points of Departure, a podcast produced at KUAF, takes us there to learn more about how an amusement park is working hard to make life better for children fighting disease and make life better for their families as well. The podcast is a partnership with Arkansas Global Changemakers and is dedicated to connecting people from around the world to each other to help find solutions to global problems. We'll have an excerpt from that latest episode ahead this hour. We'll start today's show with a conversation with Phil Allen Jr. He's a pastor, speaker, and writer. His latest book, The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier, examines how video can be a tool to help facilitate cultural change and also work against it. He offers examples as varied as D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, to Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, to the role of news and citizen-captured video of events that can shape public conversation. I start the book off with uh, the unseen violence for chapter one and, and seeing blackness as a liminal existence, like this in-between space where we see athletes, we see celebrities, musicians, you know, we see that image and we see the far, the other image of um, criminality, um, the presentation in media of uh, the hood. So we see these images, but what we don't see is, is the in-between, which is both the beauty and the tragedy. So we don't see the profiling. We don't see the daily profiling, violence, brutality, microaggressions that's experienced. We also don't see the beauty. We don't see the resiliency. We don't see the, the, the family life, the love. We don't see all those that in between. So the, the, the camera has the, the, the potential to capture that. And in this case, capturing the violence, because for decades, if not centuries, we've said this has been happening to us and we're not believed or it's minimized. And so you go back to civil rights movement, that's why the camera was so vital. Dr. King realized they had to capture it and then broadcast it to the rest of the world to show them this is what's happening. And now your conscience is gonna be burdened. What are you gonna do with that? These images, whether it's the Edmund Pettus Bridge, whether it is Rodney King, whether it is George Floyd, we are talking about 60, 70 years of being burdened, and one would hope, if they took a wider view, that this burdening would have meant something more, something faster, right? Yep. So yep. so how, how should we deal with that? Like, we've seen these images of violence that perhaps were or definitely were minimized or were not believed, but it's taken so many of them for so many of us to go, oh, when when will this, you know, begin to make a coherent change for the majority of Americans? Great question. You know, um, I think while there's progress and while there seems to be more, especially after 2020, summer of 2020, there seems to be more people aware. There's also a, a counter movement. Um, 
that starts with this allegiance, allegiance to what does it mean to be American? And I would say allegiance to whiteness, not so much white ethnicity, white skin, but allegiance to this ideology, this, this worldview, um, white supremacy, white sovereignty. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it's both, con for some it's conscious and for others it's unconscious, but it's this preservation of that, that kind of counters, because you have to admit to, in order to, 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 to move forward and to, and to fully grasp and embrace and say, okay, this is real and I, I'm angry about this. You now have to also acknowledge, admit, face, confront the reality. Um, and a lot of my white brothers and sisters are afraid of that. Um, I've, I've, had, I've, I've taught a class once in, in uh, Joplin, Missouri. So I taught a, taught a class and um, went through a survey of the history from the, from the slave ship, from the transatlantic slave trade to today, just showing a, a, a through line, not just black history, but native, Japanese, immigrants, what have you. And a, a young white girl um, said, to, she, was, she came back out after the break and she was angry, clearly on her face, she had anger on her face. And before moving on, I said, let's process. Like, I thought she was mad at me. <laughs> I'm just sharing facts. And she said, I'm angry that my parents and my grandparents never told me this stuff. And that has sat with me to this day. So there, there is something that her parents and grandparents want to preserve. They don't want the kids to know or, or, or whomever to, to have to deal with this. And that's part of the problem. Until that is more and more um, white folks are willing to confront, detach the whiteness from, I, from their identity. That's a whole other conversation. I believe that, that the idea of whiteness going back to the 17th century, stripped even white people of um, their, their, their ancestry, their identity, and created something new. So I think that's part of the problem, this allegiance to and this preservation of whiteness um, for some. Well, and this idea, it's white supremacy, but just white as the default, like everything that's not white is the different. Yes. And that can begin to warp you know how how people think and talk i think we probably all have friends or associates who when they're talking about an incident they'll say this man but if that man were black suddenly that adjective that modifier that descriptor is in there and it's just this sort of whiteness as default like unless i say something different i'm talking about a white person and it's built. It's been built into the American uh, psyche, collective psyche, that um, it doesn't. I actually had a few conversations <laughs> where a guy described people in a church, the people of color. He described as um, Hispanic, black, and other a couple other uh, races, and then he said, and there were some Americans. <laughs> I said. Oh, and I just looked at him like, and so the default, going back to what you said, the default is that these white folks were American. These other people were American too, but they were people of color. And he said it so effortlessly. Do you, 
Going back to the, the young woman and, and, and the people you talked to in Joplin, do you think there is a generational move, a generational shift that can give us optimism? Absolutely. I have, I have been in classes. I have taught. I have TA'd in enough classes over the last seven years that the next generation, and I think that may be true of every generation, more open to change and progress than the previous generation or than their parents and grandparents. But I am hopeful because I see it more and more. Um, and I, I've, seen, I've seen, I've had conversations where more and more um, white folks are even confronting mom and dad. And not so much in, a, in an abrasive way, but confronting them and, and educating them. Um, some of them have sent my books to them or my film and, and, and have been able to engage in that way. So I am hopeful that there is a, a, a shift. But again, there's also that the underbelly. There's also the element that's trying to preserve. And that's then we get into the banning of books and critical race theory and things of that nature. Um, and I don't understand why people do not want the whole truth. There has to be some, I don't know, reconciliation or self-examination. What has my role been either yep. consciously or unconsciously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, one of the things I, I share, and I think the camera kind of invites this, is before we even get to reconciliation, there is the work of solidarity. Mm -hmm. There is the work of the confrontation, the, the, the acknowledging that this reality, confronting it. There's the work of taking a risk um, the risk in relationships, the risk in um, losing what you thought was true or reality and, and embracing something new and different and scary. Um, the, the risk of um, opportunities um, to stand with those who have been facing injustice and inequities. And, and that to me Will, will set us up for reconciliation, this, this work of solidarity. That's what Dr. King, I believe, stood for. And you saw it in, 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 in the protests. You saw it in the sit-ins. There are images where you see, obviously, it's majority Black folks, but you'll see white and Jewish people um, risking bodily harm. In the book, the, the cameramen from those news stations, they risk their lives too. They're, I call them allies for, for, the, for the movement. Because without them, where would we be if we didn't have the videos? Then it took, you know, the cameras had to be, you know, networks. And, yes. and, and you had to be of some means to be able to film it, whether you're filming Bull Connor with the fire hose. Now we can all be uh, videographers. And that has changed it again, right? It's not just at these announced events that are happening as part of a, a large movement, it's unfortunately, seemingly every day there comes yeah. some video. Do you think that is moving the needle, the, the frequency with which we are exposed to the transgressions against people of color? Yeah, I think two things with that. I think the frequency is necessary because that's how frequently it's happening. How often it's happening? I mean, I'm one person, and I, I've never been—I've never had a gun pulled on me by law enforcement. I've never um, been beaten by law enforcement, but I've been profiled, pulled over, 
spoken to abrasively, um, just dehum the dehum dehumanizing interaction uh, multiple times in my own life. I've been threatened multiple times by, by white folks, um, mainly on church campuses, actually, <laughs> ironically. I've been threatened, called the N-word multiple times. Um, and so those, so I'm one person. Right. So multiply that by millions, right? So it's happening. So by necessity, we have to have, have these videos come out frequently. The other part though, is it could numb people to it. It, it, could, it could get people to the point where it's, it's so normalized that, oh, it's just another one. And so that's, that's the danger in that. But at the same time, you can't not, every life matters. So you can't, you can't not show them. Right? I, it takes me sometimes weeks before I can watch a video if I watch it. Um, the Jalen Walker um, video, I didn't watch it for a number of weeks um, before I could even have the energy to, to, to see it. So it, it can have two effects. It can have the, the numbing effect. It can have a traumatizing effect, or it could have a, 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 it could move the needle to continue. Yeah, well put. You, you mentioned that some of these incidents when you have been dehumanized and cursed at and threatened have been on church campuses. You're a pastor. What role do churches, white churches, black churches, whatever churches, have to fill, fulfill to help us become a better society? I think churches, particularly more right-leaning evangelical churches, they cannot allow it to be safe anymore. Safe to be that way, to say those things, to threaten. Um, if you never talk about the issues, if you never teach on it, if the pastor isn't passionate about the injustices and inequities, then why would the congregants or visitors be? And when, when you, especially when, when, I, when it happened to me, I was in a predominantly white, um, multi-ethnic space. They boasted of diversity, but it was a culturally homogenous space. And they had to feel safe enough to, to call me the N-word and threaten me, like everything was gonna be okay. Um, it took everything in me not to respond with violence. Um, it, one, one was in front of people. So it was almost like it was this major test for me. Like, what are you gonna do now? And I was, I was almost prepared to lose my job. Mm. Um, but again, I think when, when churches are silent on these issues, as if it's not a big deal, then it doesn't matter if I say, or if I threaten, it's not important to, to, to us. It's safe here. And as long as those churches are silent, they're saying it's safe. Hmm. It's like dog whistling without whistling. Is there a challenge because you might run into people who don't think what they're doing or aren't aware of what they're doing as a micro, let alone what you just described, being called the N-word and threatened, but other conversations that there isn't even the self-awareness that this could be a microaggression or this could be, you know, feeding into a stereotype. Which is all the more reason why there has there has to be not only preaching and teaching, but also a, a, a different voices. And, and when I say different voices, I don't mean just a black person, a Latino, 
an Asian up there preaching and speaking or teaching, but perspectives, making space for that. Um, because you're right, there are people who don't realize, and I, I tend to be someone that if I know you, or if I have a feel that I, I think you're a, a genuine person, um, I'll give grace, I'll extend grace. If, you, if I feel like you, you, didn't, you don't know what you're doing. Um, but if it keeps happening, especially after I've, I've mentioned it to you, um, then I know there's something, there's something else going on. Yeah. So if, if, we, begin, if we never talk about it, if we never bring this to the center, if we never make this an issue, because what's happening is you have a congregation full of people of color who will sit quietly and suffer, silently and suffer while they experience those microaggressions because they don't feel like it's safe enough to say anything. And it's not being spoken about, it's not being talked about. But when you have some, someone like me that would come up and would give those examples or would say and, and include that in my sermons to bring my experience to the pulpit. Now you have people sitting in the, in the pews who say, I experienced that too. Yeah, thank you for saying that. You named it, you, you, you brought it to the forefront. And there may be people that may disagree and think it's not that important, but there are people who are, are co-signing and saying, thank you for identifying my experience. That's why it's important. You mentioned, you know, talking about the beauty as well. I think we, we have, I have a tendency to, to think about the problems, to think about the through line of history that has led us there. But also rising up, you know, the beauty and the excellence and the successes. Now, having said that, we have to be aware of history and the through line, right? The redlining, the, the not giving GI loans to soldiers of color coming back. And D.W. Griffith and Birth of a Nation. And I think back to this movie. One of my favorites as a kid, which was um, um, Sierra Nev uh, Nevada, I think, with Humphrey Bogart. Eh, typical bank robber sort of thriller. In the middle, there is a character. It isn't Step and Fetch It, but it's another character actor who often was put in this sort of demeaning, ah, shucks role. The only reason the character is in there, as I watched it again 30 years later, or 40 years later, was as this comic relief, this caricature. And, and I think, okay, I saw that as a kid through all the other images I saw through the 60s and 70s. And I think you have to realize, and I feel like I'm a cliche saying this, but I think you have to realize the images that were given to us as children and what that can do to subconscious and how we have to combat that. I don't know if that made any sense. And it wasn't a question, but. It, it makes a lot of sense um, because it has the same effect on people of color, on black folks because we internalize that too. And so you start to believe that that's how you have to be, hmm. or that's what it means to be good. That's what it means to be um, accepted, is to be less threatening. Um, and, and so th those, those images matter. The representation in front of the camera matters. Representation behind the camera matters. And this is where the, the Spike Lees and the Ava DuVernay's come into play. Um, because they give us an opportunity to see the whole picture, to tell the whole story, tell the whole narrative. Um, 
And, and that's, that's the, the thing about the camera is not just that it, and this is part, part of the beauty part, it's not just that it shows us the violence, um, but it gives an opportunity to create a, a, a disruptive, a new, fuller, richer, more beautiful narrative that's not being presented. It's not being told. So that's the, that's the power of the camera. So uh, Malcolm X, I mentioned this in the book, he used his camera for that reason. He wanted to show the beauty, the power, the upward mobility, the, the good things about the black community. But he, and he wanted to show those images to black folks because he knew they needed to see themselves in a different light other than what was being presented to them. Because he knew, like most of us know, it's being internalized. When those images are presented enough times, it's internalized. And then what happens, you start to hate, you, you hate yourself. You hate those who look like you. And that's a whole nother conversation. But I think it's important to show or to talk about both the trauma and the resiliency, particularly from the black community. And I think the camera has the capacity to do that. Uh, we have to, we can't look away at the, at the trauma and the suffering we also can't look away at the beauty. And it's not an either or, it's a both and. The name of the book is The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier. Where can people read more of you or hear more of you? You can go to www.philallenjr.com, P-H-I-L-A-L-L-E-N-J-R.com. My social media is um, at Phil Allen Jr. And Instagram is at Phil Allen Jr. IG, uh, but every, everywhere else is at Phil Allen Jr. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Arkansas SHIP, the Arkansas Senior Health Insurance Information Program, announces open enrollment now through December 7th. Arkansas SHIP offers free, confidential, unbiased, and educational advice for those needing to find the best Medicare Part D drug plan for 2023. For more, 1-800-224-6330. KUAF is supported by Biotech Pharmacal. Owners Dale and Hope Benedict would like to wish everyone a happy holiday season. Their pure and hypoallergenic vitamins and supplements are available locally or online at biotechpharmacal.com. This is Ozarks at Large. The podcast Points of Departure seeks connections, connections of people from different parts of the world to each other, and connections that can hopefully lead to solutions for problems. It's a co-production of KUAF and Arkansas Global Changemakers. The latest episode features co-host Lawrence Hare, Associate Professor of History at the University of Arkansas, and Rogelio Garcia-Contreras, Teaching Assistant Faculty at the Strategy, Entrepreneurship, and Venture Innovation Department in the Walton College of Business at the U of A in Spain. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth produced the piece. You know, they say no trip to Spain is complete without a visit to an amusement park. Okay, so it may not be the top of every traveler's list, but families from all over the world have started looking to a theme park in the coastal town of Tarragona, Spain, just south of Barcelona, as a haven for kids with severe illness. The Port Aventura Foundation's Dreams program began offering stays for children going through treatment programs and their families back in 2019, with the goal of letting them have a carefree vacation without worrying about being sick. Here now an excerpt from the latest episode of Points of Departure. 
Country music pumps through loudspeakers in a cartoon-style version of an Old West town, while just ahead, a roller coaster barrels through a Mexico-themed village. This is Portaventura World, a theme park that's like a Spanish version of Disney World's Epcot Village, with shops, rides, restaurants, all based on different locations from around the world. And on the southern border of the park sits another, quieter village. Please. This is a lovely space. Yeah. Here, uh, every house is, is uh, the same distribution. As you can see, they have everything that they could need in an apartment. This is the Portaventura Foundation's Dreams Village, where kids who maybe never thought they would get the chance to even visit, let alone live at an amusement park like this one. The program is run by Sergi Padilla Bartolome, who shows us around the six cabins where families stay during their visit. Lawrence Hare takes the conversation from here. Hello, once again from Spain, we took the train early this morning along the coast to the lovely city of Tarragona, where we visited a, a fabulous amusement park, Portaventura, which has the highest roller coaster in all of Europe, I'm told. Uh, not here just for, the, just for the rides and amusement, we're here to talk to the uh, Portaventura uh, Foundation. And we're joined today by uh, Sergi Padilla Bartolome, general manager of the foundation, to talk about the Port Aventura Dreams Village project. Welcome, thanks for joining us on Points of Departure. Hi, good morning everybody, and thank you very much for uh, inviting us for this podcast, it's a pleasure. So the Dreams Project is an in initiative to host families of um, children with serious illnesses, um, yes. uh, to enjoy the, the amusement in the park of, at Port Aventura. They stay a week on, on the on the campus here in a very lovely residence area, a village of residences with uh, cafeteria and play area and activities and green spaces. It is a fabulous uh, facility. Um, tell us a little bit about how this got started and what you uh, hope to accomplish. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for your uh, welcome and for your words. Uh, well, it started everything in 2019, uh, the build of the place of Dreams Village, where we have welcomed these families uh, from uh, three years ago. But uh, everything started uh, when fu the foundation started, because we have been always in touch with the children that are in the hospital fighting for uh, their life most of the times. And of course, when we arrived uh, to the hospital and uh, arriving with the Portaventura uh, Foundation and all the boot picker and all the characters from the park and just giving a, putting a smile in their faces and you see how the light recovering in their eyes and you are conscious, you get conscious that uh, you can help them. So this uh, give us one idea, one uh, of, uh, there, was a, there was an opportunity to help these children, to help the families also. So we were just uh, discovering in all the worldwide uh, how it, there was another project that we can just show uh, just see how they were doing how they were creating 
projects similar to help these families that has one or sometimes more than one children that are fighting against this dangerous and several illness. And we saw in Orlando, uh, we discovered Give Kids a Wall that for us was a great inspiration and always has been an example uh, to, to see how they were receiving uh, families from all the world, uh, from very different illness and helping always with this incredible uh, team, uh, human team of uh, professionals and volunteers that are just receiving the families every week also and giving all this uh, opportunity in that uh, case in uh, Orlando to enjoy all the Disney uh, resource and it was a great inspiration for us. So uh, in 2019, we visit uh, Orlando and uh, we also visit another projects in, uh, in Europe. There was one project uh, that we can, uh, could visit that was Villa Pardus in Efteling Park. That was also a great inspiration for us. But really, we couldn't see more uh, parks, similar uh, in, uh, initiatives that were just helping families, no different village or places like this that were helping these families. So we decided to make a, a, just a project to go on, uh, one step uh, in front and just everything started with, of course, fundraising, collecting money, helping one each other, uh, getting a huge uh, amount of uh, different companies, enterprises, social entities that help us to build the place, the Dreams Village, that is next to Portaventura, where the families will uh, sleep, will be together, and where the Portaventura Foundation will have the headquarters. So where we are now in Dreams Village, it begins on the 22 of October of 2019, where the, the six first families arrive here and uh, just begin to enjoy their trans family. They stay six days mm -hmm. and uh, they can enjoy all the parks with uh, known uh, cues. They can be at the first line of the shows. They can enjoy of the, sh uh, the shows here that we make inside the Dreams Village. And of course, we always said that they are our great, great VIPs, no VIPs. <laughs> this is a really phenomenal park. There are all kinds of theme areas that are, uh, that are modeled after different countries so you have a very multicultural experience and there are roller coasters and rides <laughs> yeah. and uh, looks like water slides and that sort of thing so it's a fun place and when we came into the village we saw some familiar faces we saw woody woodpecker we saw cookie monster and but this is a beautiful facility rogelio and it, and but it but it didn't come cheap no I, I, well first of all sergi thank you very much for being with us I think uh, this, is, this is a project that is amazing and in, in a way, Lawrence, it brings all the um, values that we have at Arkansas Global Changemakers in one place. And it's not, it's not an easy uh, endeavor, uh, it is certainly the effort of many organizations. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit, Sergi, about the network of support that the foundation has? Yeah, well, uh, of course, we have the team of uh, Portaventura Foundation that is working to make possible these dreams. Uh, all the hospitals that are collaborating, choosing the families. But uh, it could be not true, uh, these dreams uh, for the families, if we don't have the support of uh, different enterprises, different social entities that help us to maintaining, for example, the cost of uh, every family. Every family has included everything. They don't have to pay anything, of course, because 
these dreams families uh, they have they are fighting against the, the children against the different illness every week the six families are uh, in the same uh, kind of illness so this helps a lot for, for them and uh, apart that they are fighting this illness they have uh, they are in risk of social exclusion for economical reasons so we want to help the people the families that need it most so there, that's part of the selection criteria for, yeah. for your partner hospitals in Spain is yes. the social exclusion category and the illness and right is one of the main uh, uh, of the main reasons of the, that we are just focusing in these families that need it most. So, um, of course, we have to provide everything for these families, for the, all the park, they can uh, go into the, all the, the three parks of Portaventura Wall without uh, queues, just enjoying a lot. Uh, and of course, all this has a cost and uh, we just, we are making fundraising and looking for another help from different enterprises that can help us, for example, in the cost of every family. Every family, that every group of family can be of six people. Uh, just the cost of this uh, week is... Six people in each group, and, and that yes. can be any, any family member that can be grandmother, grandfather, mother, yes. father, yes. brother, sister. Can be all this you, you said, and of course can be also uh, one neighbor, uh, of the children, one uh, classmate of the dreams child that has uh, uh, ha has had a, a very important role for the recuperation of the uh, for the child. The full episode of Points of Departure, as well as other episodes from this season and last, can be found at KUAF.com or wherever you go to get your podcast. Points of Departure is a co-production of Arkansas Global Changemakers and KUAF and is produced by Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth. Hi, this is Lee Wood, KUAF's General Manager. This Thanksgiving, I'm especially grateful to the community that KUAF serves and partners with every day. I'm Joy McGowan. I'm Denisha Simpson. And, and we, we are Resilient, Resilient Black, Black Women. Hey everyone, we're back with the District 3 Podcast episode 157. My name is Irvin. Joining us today are three candidates that are running for Washington County Justice of the Peace. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with sound perimeter. My name is Lawrence Hare. I'm Associate Professor of History in the Fulbright College of Arts and Science. And my name is Rogelio Garcia Contreras. I am a teaching assistant faculty at the Strategy, Entrepreneurship, and Venture Innovation Department of the Walton College of Business. At KUAF, we believe your voice matters. Thank you for supporting KUAF, for partnering with KUAF, and for caring so much about the community we live in. This is Ozarks Large with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Matthew Moore. And Anna Pope. Uh, reporters and producers at Ozarks at Large. Y'all don't really know why you're in the studio, do you? Not particularly. No. All right. Well, it's time to play a Thanksgiving quiz as we move into the Thanksgiving holiday. And I wanted two members of the KUAF staff who were not born in Arkansas and didn't grow up in Arkansas. Because the first question out of 10 is, according to Skolaru, very reliable source. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they sent out a press release. What do you think is the most popular side dish Thanksgiving in Arkansas? In Arkansas. According to Skolaru. And you can Is it a common Thanksgiving side dish? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mac and cheese? No. Mac it's... and cheese. <laughs> right? Listen. <laughs> Listen, I eat Thanksgiving dinner with native Arkansans 
And mac and cheese is one of the biggest side dishes at our Okay. Is it like a traditional side dish? You I would I mean? call it traditional, but then uh, within the last few seconds, I'm not sure I know what traditional <laughs> is. <laughs> I know that is very true. <laughs> um, uh, I think, all right, cranberry sauce. See, I that wasn't in the top five in Arkansas. Okay. Um, yeah. Green bean casserole? That's, that's number five in Arkansas. Okay. Mashed potatoes. Which is number four in Arkansas. Yams. Number one. Ah! Yams is number one? Yes. Yams is number one. So now, I'm gonna, according to Schoolroo, Oklahoma, what do you think is number one in your state, Anna? Stuffing. Yeah, stuffing didn't appear, and I think they don't count that as a side dish for really? some reason. Oh, I that's part see, of the And this is the, the question. Yeah. Is, do you think it's the main dish, or do you think it's a side dish? I look. F- a is good it the s- whole meal, Kyle? A good stuffing is better than a good turkey. That's fair. Oklahoma's top. What do you think Oklahoma's? I don't know. Probably uh, is. All right, we'll do the same thing. We'll yes. go down the list. All right, I'll just keep guessing until I get it right. Well, you've already said it. Uh, oh, yams. No. Potatoes. Mashed potatoes. Yes. Number one in Oklahoma. What do you think is number one in your home state of Illinois? Cranberry sauce. No. Green bean casserole. That's second. Oh, okay. It's um, not mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah, I've already been shamed out of that. Yeah. Uh, Ma- <laughs> mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes, okay. All right. Okay. okay. Gotta love starch. What are the four, according to the American Association of Emergency Room Physicians, hmm. what are the four most common injuries around Thanksgiving? You slice yourself. Knife-related yeah. is, is one of them, yes. Knife-related injuries. Choking? No. Really? Yeah. Oh. But you're on the right path. (laughs) (laughs) On the right path. Well, I mean, you're thinking about eating. Sure. So. Food poisoning? Yes, that's another one. Two more. Yeah. This is why we're doing this quiz. So you think about, be careful with the knives. The moral of the story is cook your turkey. Have a thermometer handy. Right. That's the purpose why we're doing this. Any, uh, and there are two more common, most common injuries on Thanksgiving Day in emergency rooms. We've had food poisoning and knife-related accidents. Death by passive-aggressivism? <laughs> I was about to say, is there alcohol involved in the next two? Well, car accidents. Car accidents, ah. Which yep. could have alcohol. Sure. So if you've had too much yeah, to drink, makes sense. have somebody else drive. Please. And the last one is something that actually my wife, she didn't have to go to the emergency room last year, but she suffered this while... Is it deep frying a turkey? Well, oh, and, burn. They get, and they burn a burn. Okay, yeah, she yeah. she actually burned her hand, I think, on a on a oven burner. But oh, yeah. all right, so that was the depressing question for this Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, do you watch the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade? Yes. Okay, you know there are balloons. Yes, that's not one of the questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> balloons started in 1928, and the first year they were just generic. It was like a fish, a tiger, a hummingbird. Oh my, sorry. Yes, the first. Licensed characters were in 1929. <clears throat> I'm not going to ask you who they were. I'll just tell you that it was the Cats and Jammer kids. Oh, obviously. And then the next year, also comic book characters, Boob McNutt and Barty Google. Yeah, it took the words right out of right. my mouth. <laughs> but in 2022, a brand new licensed character will make a debut as a, as a big balloon. It's an Australian cartoon dog. Bluey. Bingo. Oh, see what I just did there? Well played. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll be the first year for Bluey, but no bingo. 
Uh, do you know what we're? Yes, I okay. do know. Bluey I found out so she, has, she has little. She has little siblings. Yeah. Okay. Bluey is the best. It's so sweet. Yes. Watch Bluey. You're doing very well on this quiz, by the way. The first balloon in a Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade, based on a real person, was in 1934. Eddie Cantor. In 1935, the next year, there was a brand new balloon based on real people. It was what quartet of comedic brothers? Oh. In 1935. Uh, mustache. Uh, Marx Brothers. Yes. I was thinking, yeah. I'm glad that you caught that. Yes. How many? Kyle, can I, can I interject here for just a moment? Yes. I was the two-time Scholastic Bowl MVP in high school, so... You're. I'm kind of an expert. Yeah, I, 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 I was. She's, I was this close to saying it, but I was afraid that it would be like, "Oh, Anna, there was three. There was only two brothers. What are you talking about? You youngin. That's exactly what I was about to say. But I'm glad that you got it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because there was actually a fifth Marx brother who wasn't as famous. As, and I'm not making oh. this up. Gummo Marx. So you had Harpo, Chico, Zeppo, and Groucho. But there was also Gummo when they were in vaudeville. Hmm. Oh. It just didn't stick, did it? <laughs> I'll see you <laughs> Do you ever wonder why I'm not invited to more parties? Okay. How many, for each of those big balloons, uh-huh. how many people does it take to guide them through the streets of Manhattan? Oh, uh, a lot. Too many. <laughs> I don't think that's an acceptable quantity for this quiz. I'm going to say 43. Ooh. I, I will go, I will, I'll do round it up to 50. 90. Wow. wow! Right. D- wasn't there a time when, like, they get loose too? Yes. And like, or like, I, I don't. It's terrifying to yes. me. Yes. There was one, and unfortunately, now we're gonna get dark again. But <laughs> there was a, a spectator who was killed, killed. one year because yes, of the high the winds. winds. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah. if the winds are in the morning before mm-hmm. uh, a, a certain amount of speed, miles per hour, they won't have the balloons. Yeah. yeah. There was also a Friends episode. About an underdog balloon that got sure, away. Sure, yeah. So you're here and there. All right. Canada also has a Thanksgiving. Sure they do. Yes. It's celebrated the second month, the second Monday of what month? July? Uh, August. September. October. October. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I, I knew it. it. Right. I knew it. First try. Yes. <laughs> the first NFL football game hmm. on Thanksgiving was played in 1920 between the Chicago Tigers and the Decatur Staleys. Urban legend has it that what was at risk in this game, what was the outcome for the loser? They were no longer a part of the league? Bingo. Now, the Chicago Tigers lost. The next week they played the Thorn Tornadoes and they never played again. Sure. They were the only team to fold after the 1920 season, but there's no, we can't, actually proved that that was yeah and the decatur staley's later moved to chicago and became the chicago bears that's right decatur is in decatur illinois decatur is in decatur illinois there you go you know what they're known for their town smelling like soybeans really yeah they make edamame there Uh, i don't know if they make edamame but they like it just smells like soy everywhere in decatur there you go if you've ever wondered what soy (laughs) smells like go to decatur and you will never forget it all right (laughs) All right, we got two questions left, and these are the big ones. Okay. All right. Thanksgiving. A thousand points each. A thousand <laughs> points each. I like how you play this game, Anna Pope. Thank you. Thank you. Thanksgiving doesn't have as many uh, as many songs as Christmas. Mm-hmm. 
But there is a famous one. We know it by another name, but its first title was the New England Boys Song About Thanksgiving. What do we more commonly call this Thanksgiving song? Mm. It starts with a preposition. Oh, so much help. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I know it. A, there's I know only it. three it's dozen preposition. prepositions. Okay. It's a preposition. Oh, I know it. Um. <laughs> What's the tune? <laughs> you can make God yeah. sing. Um. <laughs> oh, over the river oh, through the woods. woods. There you go. Okay. First title was the New England Boy Song about Thanksgiving. Oh, you know what's that's funny? That's not as hummable. <laughs> I was thinking that might be the song you were talking about, but I could not imagine it being a Thanksgiving song. Well, Charlie Brown, they sing it at the end of Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. They do. That's yeah. true. <laughs> you both get 50 points for that. Great. Oh, good. Right, good but good, this good, one's good. a thousand. Yeah, yeah. All right. Pretty miserable. <laughs> this is worth a thousand. It's because we didn't get the preposition right immediately. That's right. right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is a pretty lousy, I mean, accurate, but lousy hint. Uh-huh. No, but I love it, though. Okay. So general. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, what's the day? This is not This is not the question, but what's the day after Thanksgiving commonly called? Black, Black Friday. Friday. All right. According to sources that have looked this up, <laughs> the first reference to that day being Black Friday can be found in the journal Factory Management and Maintenance. What year did Factory Management and Maintenance first refer to the day after Thanksgiving as Black Friday? I'm imagining it's post-war. It's post-World War II. Um, Is that too early? Are we talking like late 40s? Am I in the ballpark? Are are we much... I think I would argue that it's much later. Or... Because I don't know, I just have a feeling that it is later than the way later. Work together, and you get twenty five hundred points if you get it right. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> if uh, you're within three years, either way. Okay, oh. three years either way. How later are you thinking? You thinking like the eighties? <laughs> you thinking like the two thousands? Well, no, no, no. I know that it was a thing before that. I'm trying to think of when it became like truly popularized enough to put it in a journal maybe the 80s i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i think it's later kyle final answer what is later (laughs) too early and too late kyle that's my answer i'm sticking with i'm sticking with 1949 1951 oh uh, you both get 25. No, 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 no. He won. <laughs> Not, he Matthew did a whole gets, dance. <laughs> he did. I wish. I wish. <laughs> that so, was yeah. a great That was a very good shot in the dark. It was. It, that I don't was. Know, I don't know if there was any reason behind. If like you, my reasoning was logical at all. But oh, I, I thought it no, was. No, you did. Yeah. yeah. You put all your journalism yeah. expertise. <laughs> you, sure. you, you know, manifested it. I did manifest it, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. You did. So it's 1951. 1951. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks for playing along. Thank you, Kyle. Thank Do you. Do you have a favorite Thanksgiving tradition? My favorite Thanksgiving tradition is um, most of my in-laws, they work on like a 10,000-piece puzzle together, like over the course of the day. 
I don't like doing puzzles, but I love watching people do puzzles. Right. I love like hearing people think out loud and like really you get to see like the most interesting part of people that you don't normally see. And so watching my family do a puzzle. Oh, as I love that. odd as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Anna, do you have one? Um, there's a lot of different ones that I enjoy. It just depends on who I am with that holiday season. But um, it all never fails to have a good food coma after yeah. you're done eating. That's I mean, everybody's just happy and just want to sit down and do absolutely nothing, and that's the best. Um, but there... One side of the family always does a family or used to do a family reunion, which was a lot of fun to kind of catch up with everybody. But at my one grandmother's house, we always end the night with decorating the Christmas tree. Uh. And so um, because we're definitely in the boot camp, it's like, you know, Thanksgiving, then the holidays, then then the winter, like all those winter holidays Mm -hmm. in December start coming around. We like to, you know, have Halloween, Thanksgiving, and then later on. So that's what we like to do. So I don't know. I just like being with family. I think holidays have been a good time for everybody to make an effort to be with one another. What about you? Uh, Much like Matthew, it's with my in-laws, and um, they have eaten pretty much the same Thanksgiving meal for decades. Even, you know, I've been around them for more than 30 years. And just sort of the prep of that and the planning that goes into making the meal. I, I like being part of that. Yeah, that is a lot of fun. All right. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy, Happy Thanksgiving, Tomorrow's Thanksgiving edition of Ozarks at Large will include some of our favorite pieces from recent shows about cooperation, about family, and about helping one another. That's tomorrow at noon and 7 right here on 91.3 KUAF. Hollywood comes to rural Ireland in the multi-award winning comedy Stones in His Pockets on stage at Theater Squared through December 18th. When Irish townsfolk are cast as extras in an epic American movie and tragedy strikes, a hilarious clash of cultures erupts. 777-7477 or theater2.org for tickets. Arkansas SHIP, the Arkansas Senior Health Insurance Information Program, announces open enrollment now through December 7th. Arkansas SHIP offers free, confidential, unbiased, and educational advice for those needing to find the best Medicare Part D drug plan for 2023. For more, 1-800-224-6330. The White Elephant 5K and One Mile Run Walk will be taking place on the Fayetteville Square December 10th, starting at 7 a.m. There will be holiday lights, music, and hot cocoa. To register for the event, you can visit Fayetteville-AR.gov. If that's not enough running for you, runners and walkers of all levels and ages are invited to participate in the 10th annual Jingle Bell Jog 5K and Children's Fun Run. That's December 17th. It's hosted by the Botanical Garden, celebrating its 15th anniversary of being open to the public. Ugly Christmas sweaters, Santa hats, elf ears, anything that sparkles and jingles, Highly encouraged, but no pets, please. If you'd like all the details about the Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Jog 5K and Children's Fun Run, bgozarks.org. Now, if you'd rather watch other people move up and down the street while you stay still, well, there's the Eureka Springs Parade of Lights. 
It's December 2nd at 6 p.m. in the streets of downtown Eureka Springs. Parade floats, local vendors, thousands of lights illuminating the event. For more information, you can visit EurekaSpringsChamber.com. And a reminder that during the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood Sweater Drive, members of the Northwest Arkansas community are being asked to donate new or gently worn sweaters as well as other cold weather clothing at the Arkansas PBS headquarters in Conway or at participating libraries throughout Northwest Arkansas. Participating libraries include the Pea Ridge Community Library, the Newton County Library in Jasper, the Fayetteville Public Library, and others. Sweaters collected during this drive will be distributed by various local charities. For more information, myarpbs.org. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Lake Atalanta. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Matthew Moore, and Anna Pope. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl's brand new CD, titled Still Here, out now. I produce today's show inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. KUAF's general manager is Lee Wood. We're back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 for a Thanksgiving Day edition of Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Kyle Kellums. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. Just in time